0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Hello, friends. Welcome back. Got a really, really exciting show for you today. Dr. Gabe Charbonneau is a rural health family physician in the middle of Montana. He's got an incredible story, but we're really here to talk about physician burnout, like real burnout. And not just like what it takes to get up in the morning and do your job when you're getting choked by the industry, but the very incentive that the industry has to choke doctors and prevent them from practicing medicine and helping actual people. It's just disgusting, and yet it's unsurprising in a profit-driven healthcare system. Are you angry yet? Well, prepare to get more pissed off than ever, because we're going to pull back the curtain on shenanigans and yet give you hope at the same time, because there's a brand new movement by physicians to reclaim the soul of medicine in America. Enjoy the show. All right, so Gabe, we're going to pray to the gods of the internet that our fidelity works, but it sounds pretty good, and welcome to the show. Thank you.
0: Uh, It's my pleasure to be here.
1: I want to jump right in because this word burnout has been a word in the language for many, many years, but now it's applicable, and it's been all the rage for all the wrong reasons. Can you give our listeners, from your perspective, as a family physician, what burnout really means to someone in your practice?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely can. And, um, and maybe, is it okay if I tell a little story about how I learned what burnout was? Oh, the hard way or the easy way? (laughs) Well, (laughs) good point. Um, so I was thinking about telling the, uh, the G rated, I guess there's nothing more than G rated, but the easy version.
1: And, uh, but we could get into the harder version if you want to No, by all means. I mean, and this is a rated R podcast, so speak your mind. Okay,
0: yeah. Well, so, um, so I learned what burnout was in my in my first job out of residency. So I my my wife and I both did family medicine residency in Spokane, and it was an FQHC community health clinic. And we were really stoked to take the job because it was uh, it felt like it was a noble cause. We were going to help people. There was loan repayment, and we pretty much signed on the dotted line before we thought to ask important questions. And some of those were, what happened to people that have come before you and why? So in our naivety, we took the job and um, it was that was burnout before I knew what burnout was. In fact, that wasn't even a word, but, but, but it was an experience. And the experience was inheriting a practice in the middle of the opiate epidemic, wholly unprepared to manage patients that had huge needs. I mean, we were straight out of residency and didn't know what we were doing being on call every other day between the two of us for OB deliveries any time of day. Our front office manager was incentivized to double and triple book us on production. And um, here's the really sweet thing. We couldn't push back on it because our loan repayment contract said that we had to pay back double anything that we got in loan repayment if we left early. And so like once once you'd been through this little grace period, it was just like, turn up the heat and use and abuse these guys. So, so that was my first experience with burnout. Um, and so it was just basically like too much chronic stress without enough recovery and really no hope of light at the end of the tunnel.
1: Well, we used to ask the question, like, how do you turn work off when you go home? But it sounds like you never got to go home. Right,
0: right. And that, yeah, that was a really, really tough job there. There wasn't much going home. I mean, you went home, but your phone and your pager were with you and, there wasn't a real break.
1: Right. So it feels like entrapment from the get-go when they're playing on, like you said, your naivete.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I like to give people the benefit of the doubt, but it, it definitely felt like that. And now that I um, have been around for a little bit longer and had some other work um, I can see that more for what it was. And, and when my wife and I tell that story, um, that's exactly the kind of reaction that people get is like, Oh my God, that does feel like entrapment. What a crazy, crazy situation.
1: Right. And is it really as simple as like, we're a profit driven society and the, the more you do, the more money other people make at the, at the expense of patients? I, yeah,
0: well, g- gosh, I mean, I hate to give you a glib answer, but, um, I, am not sure I can come up with a better explanation. For what's wrong. I mean, I think that's, to me, that's what it is, is that the incentives for profit are supreme above everything. And so it's it's not so much that it's the profit, it's just that nothing can compete with it. So at the end of the day, you may have something else that you feel is incredibly important, but if it doesn't fit on the corporate spreadsheet, it's going to get not enough attention or even just not get attention at all.
1: Would you agree that, I mean, healthier patients on the receiving end of your care would ultimately cost the system less money than having to rush through what you need to get done at their expense.
0: Oh yeah, a thousand percent. And that's one of the things that's most maddening to us as family physicians. So as I know you're well aware, we're on this treadmill of production with these things called relative value units. And the name of the game is to produce as many of those relative value unit widgets every single day. And we're compared to each other and and shamed for not being as productive as the next person. And, and we talk a good game about prevention and um, and why investing up front in, in people's long-term health is the right thing to do. But it's a total disconnect when you get into the financial game of, of what actual practice is. And now it's gotten even more crazy. So do you know about the HCCs? Um, there are these codes that basically are used to get paid more, the sicker the patient is. So we're actually directly incentivized to bill people more for being sicker, which is just like the craziest thing I could have ever imagined. Well, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's real though. It's actually, that's our current push right now is to make sure we're capturing enough of the HCC codes and you get you get an extra one for every condition that, that means that you're a higher level of intensity with your illness. Wait, does that mean that you turn away patients that aren't sick enough? Um, (laughs) we don't exactly have a policy that says that, but you know how incentives work, right? I mean, the, the, if you get paid more for certain kinds of things, there's a natural drift in that direction. So, I mean, I think we'd all like to think that we are these, um, awesome, upstanding altruistic people that are immune to those incentives and would never turn anyone away. But, um, there are always people that play the game. And even those of us who'd like to think we're not are,
1: we're, we're in the system. So we we're part of it. So it's kind of like so much for Hippocrates, I suppose. <laughs> yeah,
0: right, right. The um, the business of medicine really has fully taken over what started out as a, a calling and a noble profession. I, I agree. And
1: this is all hiding in plain
0: sight from Americans, right? Yeah, I guess you could say that. I'm not even sure that it's really hiding anymore. I mean, the, that's what's really disheartening is that the, the trust that physicians used to have with patients is, is really eroding and you see that everywhere. And when we're going to talk about burnout, like a huge part of it is feeling like you're disconnected from the, the meaning of your work. And if you're putting in all these long hours on this incentivized treadmill and then the people that you are showing up to care for don't trust you anymore... Because of these, they they know there are misaligned incentives. Then it's even crazier. So so I don't even know if it's hiding so much anymore. I, kn- I know some people are are not aware of it, but there's a lot of people who are and actually tell me about it.
1: Right, but it's really misplaced blame because you're only doing what you have to do to pay the bills and live your life and practice medicine. And I, I don't like the word victims, but on the receiving end, are these patients not getting the care that they need? Or if they're really, really sick, maybe they are getting the care that they need.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, so, I mean, even in a super broken system, I think sometimes people still get the care that they need. There, there's way too many examples of when people don't, but I, I don't know if you can say an absolute black and white, like no one's no one's getting the care that they need. I think the, the bigger concern for me, is just that the um, it's become such a blatant thing that it's a business and that that's the only priority. And I'm really interested in figuring out if we can do something to reprioritize our humanity as a as as, as more important as a foundation, and then you know the the business and the profits can serve that. But they we we don't serve the the healthcare corporation. I just think that's backwards.
1: So in terms of just, you know, family practice, and we're going to get to rural America in a second because you are emblematic of the fact that, hey, there's life like left of New York City in this country, you know, the, the Midwest is a place for all intents and purposes, <laughs> you know, but what types of patients do you generally see? Um, so
0: so I have a practice in in rural Montana and we have about 4,000 people in our community and I, I see all types of people. So from from the time they're born until they die, and um, one thing that I, I love about where I live is that um, they're very active people that choose to live here. So I have some pretty healthy people that are in their 90s that still live independently. They can drive themselves, which you <laughs> you may have questions about that. But if they're, you know, if they have capacity and they're safe to do it, there are there are people who can do that. And um, but then everywhere in between, we have some people who have Chronic conditions that are quite complex that are on dialysis from kidney failure, congestive heart failure, chronic lung disease, some zebra things that you think you're never going to see. I, I diagnosed someone with a pheochromocytoma that you're never supposed to see in your career, and that happened in our town. So it's it, rural medicine's interesting because you, you just never know what you're going to get.
1: Yeah, you, you just channeled Forrest Gump hard right there. <laughs> that was unintentional. No, I mean, you mentioned like elderly people driving. As long as it's not Florida, I'm sure Big Sky Country is is kind to the other neighbors. Yeah, I mean, right.
0: There always becomes a time where safety is a concern. But um, but yeah, I mean, there are people that what the point of that was, is that there are people that are incredibly capable with longevity. I mean, this is back to that thing about if you invest in health up front. I mean, these are people that have made lifetimes of decisions that have led them that direction and and that's not lost on me actually one of my favorite things is to ask healthy 90 year olds what do you care about what you, what are your the things that you value and how do you make your decisions and you get some really interesting answers like wine ether and chocolate <laughs> wine and chocolate not so much ether um but yes <laughs> enjoyment of life is definitely key but enjoyment in moderation is part of it yeah absolutely
1: so again, let's so let's focus on rural America because again, like, like I'm a coastal and I'm not familiar with as many of our listeners. Maybe coastals enough. Many listening may be in rural America. Let's give that some time to discuss. It's obviously very different culturally, economically, socially. Maybe diverse or not diverse. What? How, how can you sum this up for us? Yeah. Um, well,
0: I, I guess that the easiest way for me to do it is to contrast a little bit with. Um, the, ur- the most urban place I've worked, which is Spokane, and the second most urban place, which is where I tr- trained, which was uh, Salt Lake City. And I don't know if Salt Lake is really less urban than Spokane, but definitely less diverse. I guess that's where I was going right. with that. Um, so so in contrast, there's, there's a lot less diversity. Um, so mo- most people are white. Um, we have a few minorities, but that's rare. Um, politics are interesting. The place where I live is heavily Republican. And they're also libertarians are pretty strong here. Uh, but there's, a, there's always a mix. Um, we're getting more and more wealthy people who are retiring, who have found out that Montana is an awesome place to live. So, um, so they come and they bring their backgrounds and political beliefs. And, um, and I, I hope I'm not making it sound like I, I am strongly one way or the other, I'm actually quite midline. Um, and I, I think it's an interesting place to work because we get people with some pretty strong opinions. We have a drugstore that has a soda fountain that it's had forever. Um, oh my. yeah, our kids love to go there. In fact, um, even in the winter time, like we were walking downtown after Thanksgiving and, um, our 13 year old was hoping they were open so he could get ice cream on this frozen outside day. Yeah, we, ha- we have a soda fountain. We have, we have small local pharmacists, which are amazing by the way, like, If you've never had a small local pharmacist, I would actually say that's one of the most helpful positive surprises I found when we came here. Um, So when, when we were in the city in Spokane, it was like Walgreens and big box pretty much everywhere. You never could talk to a pharmacist who really seemed like they knew the patients or who cared that much. And it is the absolute polar opposite. I mean first name basis with patients, with us, um, they will gladly take time and answer questions for you, advocate for patients in ways that I just never experienced before. So that is um, that is super cool. Um, and one of the tragedies of that is it seems like there's more and more incentive for the mail order pharmacies, which is the complete opposite end of that, as far as like knowing you and, and caring about you. And I'm, I'm not against efficiency. It's just that, that the, the, there are all these places where people are trying to cut out the the human touch. And I just I'm, I'm not convinced that that's the, the future I want to live in is where we completely get rid of that for maximum efficiency and profit. I'm going to agree. <laughs> so, so 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 let's see soda fountain local pharmacies. We've got a few bars and churches that's that goes with every small small town. Um, Huey Lewis lives here. So for <laughs> the the Yellowstone show that everybody's watching, I probably shouldn't say that because now more people want to come live here. Um, right, but the Yellowstone show is is filmed just down the road from here. um I have friends who have been extras cast in the show, and when when you're watching that, that's essentially our backyard. I feel like automating pharmacists is a bad idea,
1: yeah, I mean it's yes <laughs> how I much mean, do it is one of the most trusted professions in medicine still, correct? I would say so
0: yeah, yeah
1: all right i I just said so, so it must be true. <laughs> Yeah. I mean,
0: no, I agree. It's it's important to be incredibly precise and careful and um, educated. Yeah, I, th- I think so.
1: I feel like the closest pop culture analogy I can make is when, uh, I think it was Shoeless Joe Jackson showed up in Field the Dreams, but he became the old guy with the medicine bag and became like the doctor that visited the house and cured the girl with the asthma attack. Like that doesn't happen anymore, but maybe it does in rural America sometimes. Well,
0: actually, yeah. So, um, I know that it does sometimes in rural America. My so so I mentioned a little bit about my wife and I doing training together. So we both trained in family medicine and she um, she does many more home visits than I do. Um, but that that absolutely still happens. And the the closeness and relationship absolutely still happens. I mean, we have people that bring us baked goods all day long, which I <laughs> I have to. I have to appreciate because they're made with love and then not to eat too many of them because they're right. <laughs> right. Like they're made with too much love, too much love. Exactly. Exactly. But um, no, the kindness and connection here is, is, is really something that is special in a, in a rural setting. I, I agree. And in part of my origin story, that's, that's what I knew as a kid. Um, the, the, one of the most memorable experiences that I've had was when I was about six years old. and um, my mom took me to the doctor in our community because I had this itchy rash all over my body and I didn't know what it was. She didn't know what it was. And she took me into our, our local doctor who was a, a family physician and he just got it all right. He was kind and patient and hands-on and had a knowing and wisdom about him. Like you're, you're in the right place to be taken care of. And I just remember walking in feeling uncertain and scared and walking out with this big smile on my face because he taught me this cool word, molluscum contagiosum. And like, I mean, it just stuck instantly in my brain. Like I was almost like singing a little song about it, <laughs> walking out of there. And the, the point of that story is that that, you know, that connection is part of what inspired me to want to be a doctor in the first place. So the, the, that being lost is, it's heartbreaking to a guy like me.
1: Well, let's take a quick break. Um, We'll be back with Dr. Gabe to talk about how he's channeling his indoor Cassian Andor to fight back against the empire. And uh, (laughs) maybe the sponsor we had you'll hear is uh, Hip to be Square or I Want a New Drug by Huey Lewis in the News. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) All right, we'll be right back.
0: Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's com slash Wondery.
1: Gabe, it is hip to be square. And, um, you know, being a doctor can be a little square. But you have a personality. I think, like, you, you come to the table with this, I don't know, this embedded almost like um, uh, this sarcastic, sardonic appreciation for the reality of your profession. But you are actively doing stuff to kind of like c- clap back at this being a terrible way to run the country and to run medicine. Let's talk about your initiatives with Medicine Forward and FightBurnout.org. Yeah,
0: I, I would love to. And it's it's so funny because I actually don't think of myself as sarcastic. I mean, angry, yes. Angry and disappointed and believe that there's something so much better if I'm coming across sarcastic, I'm not sure that everyone, anyone's ever really used that word to describe it. It's a good
1: sarcasm because you're tongue in cheek with everything you talk about. It's real.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is me. This is definitely what you get. Um, yeah, I w- I'd like to start with the fight burnout initiative. I think that'll make the rest of it make more sense. So I, I mentioned earlier on that my my first brush with burnout was in just this impossible work situation. And um, I didn't even have the word burnout to describe it. We were just living it. And then a lot of things happened and time went by and um, we got out of that job and moved to rural Montana where my wife's family is from and moved to where I'm practicing now. And then um, this thing in 2012 happened where there was a giant incentive to roll out the, the EMR, the electronic medical record. And I had been this person who was really interested in doing everything possible to try and make this unbearable situation bearable. So we even built a software company to make macros for the electronic chart and started a company about that. And that company failed. Turns out that part-time doctors, part-time entrepreneurs um, trying to get new software into the business of medicine is like (laughs) a really hard thing and we weren't that good at it. But definitely learned a ton, both about just how the beast works and about our own psychology and our friend's psychology. And that's actually when this burnout thing started to sink in with me. I just started hearing this word and seeing that the people that we were trying to go help with our software, there was something deeper that was wrong. And and burnout seemed to be this trend that I needed to pay attention to. There were these folks that were, some of them even people that trained me when I was in residency, and they just lost their spark and lost Hope that, um, that that the the um, the path that they had chosen just was not what they had thought it would be or expected it would be. And um, anyway, the um, somewhere along the line, some crazy part of my subconscious said, "Gabe, you don't know how to fix medicine. You're not a very great entrepreneur because your software company failed. But you need to make this design and stick it on a T-shirt about fighting burnout." And I mean, that literally is what happened. And, and I just obsessed about this idea that I believed in the potential of our humanity and the so many good people that choose medicine that I know and I've met and that I just, I just feel like it's so crazy that we're so stuck when there's so many people that actually do want to do the right thing. And so this, this idea came to think about symbolism as a way to solve the problem for me. And so the the idea turned into a phoenix bird raising the rod of medicine, the rod of Asclepius, out of the flames below, with the words "fight burnout." Those are just uh, that was what I could distill it down to. What I wanted to do was to fight burnout, and then of course, like I had to put some Latin on there because it just seemed cool. And the Latin says, "Together we rise above," which which was all about my belief in our human potential together. And um, I made this crazy shirt and i had it printed up and i got one for myself and i was wearing it around and i'm like this is weird no one else is gonna get this (laughs) no one else is gonna get this like but i but i'm really happy to wear this shirt and um and then but what's what's really interesting is that 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 is not what happened at all so having struggled with all these things that weren't working like how to you know how to solve the broken healthcare system how to make a software company those things didn't work but this crazy t-shirt that i didn't know what i was doing with really took off and inspired people and i started basically i had to decide what i was going to do with it so my plan was i would essentially like try and notice who was doing something positive to try and make a difference with burnout. And I would send them a fight burnout shirt and a little thank you card that I wrote. And and then people started taking their pictures with the shirt and feeling and looking empowered. And it just, it was this awesome thing for me and for others. And, and then one of the people that I wanted to send a shirt to was one of my heroes, Eric Topol. And he had written this book, Deep Medicine. And I just... It just stopped me when I was reading that, how he was speaking this language that I felt a kindredness to about the importance of us standing up for our humanity in the face of all these other very strong forces. And I, I think I had felt really alone in some of my beliefs until I was reading some of his words. And so I just was like, I really want to give this guy a shirt, but I don't know him. And he'll probably think I'm some crackpot, <laughs> which maybe, right. I, maybe I am. <laughs> uh, But
1: surprise, surprise.
0: Surprise, surprise. So, yeah. So, I, um, yeah. So, so what happened is I actually knew another friend who had had him on a podcast. And I was thinking, well, maybe he'd like to give Eric a shirt. And that's the way this should happen. And so I offered it. And my friend said, no, no, you just need to write to him directly. And so I was, I was a little anxious about it, but I really, really wanted to. So I wrote him this email and I included a picture in there of, of uh, of a friend of mine wearing the fight burnout shirt and told him what I was doing. And he wrote back immediately and said, this is amazing. Yes, I'd be honored to have one of those shirts. And by the way, let's find a time to talk. And so that was not the response I was expecting. I was fully thinking it would go right into his spam folder. (laughs) And that's right, right,
1: right. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Wait, let me, let me ask you a question in all of this, right, right. Where the hell is the American Medical Association in any of these conversations? Oh my gosh. Okay. So
0: yeah, so this is one of those moments where um, I'm probably going to make some friends who do have ties to the AMA a little bit angry, but the AMA is really broken. The AMA is super broken and they just don't represent modern doctors anymore. The the stat, these are a little bit outdated stats, but um, like 83% of doctors are not members of the AMA right now. So, so that's you know, like 17% are, and that might be a high number because they give free memberships away to students and some other people. They're a huge political lobby, largely middle-aged or a little bit older white males, heavily biased towards being a proceduralist, so people that get paid for doing procedures. So big lobby, incentivized to make it so we get paid for doing stuff to people And, oh, and by the way, every time you go and see the doctor, there's a thing called a CPT code and the AMA gets royalties every time you go and see your doctor and uses one of these codes they have to use to the tune of $150 million a year that the AMA taxes the American people for healthcare.
1: Wait, Wait, hang on. Is anyone actually bringing this up? Do they make like just political statements like a lobby group would normally do or is anyone holding them accountable to this?
0: Well, so, so that's the, the brilliance of the AMA is that they realize that they really need to lean heavily into PR. So like what a lot of people will see publicly is a great PR machine, which if you have that much money, you can do a great job with. And I think that may be part of why folks aren't so aware of what's going on. But some people are. I was actually in the in the sauna with a guy at the YMCA and we got to talking and he was a retired union carpenter. And we were talking about things and the idea of doctors needing to have a union came up and he's like, doctors do have a union. It's called the AMA. And he was highly critical of it. Like, you know, these guys who were in unions outside of medicine are well aware of the doctor's lobby and its history. So I don't know if that helps answer your question.
1: No, I think it just pulled the curtain back a little bit for our listeners. Hopefully, like this is, you know, the the emperor has no clothes. You know, it's 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 up on this ivory pillar of this revered, you know, uh, supposedly, you know, established, credible institution, and it seems to be dropping the ball for average people trying to do their jobs in rural America, or m- maybe across all of America. No,
0: one hundred percent has dropped the ball, and and MZ so when I met Eric, I actually had the only criticism I had of the AMA. was I was like, I don't know why that's worth $500 a year for me to be a member. I mean, I'm not sure what they're doing for me, but I didn't have any criticism. It was, he was actually one of the first people that um, taught me to look at it with a more kind of, here's what's going on. And here's some, of here's some of the real story. And so I made it through a huge part of my career with, with, with no knowledge that any
1: of this was, was not good. Well, in our, in our, Time left. Let's talk about what you've been activating around the country. Yeah, we're we're looking to start a new physician's organization. I think I just watched uh, I I just finished watching Andor on Disney Plus uh, as of this taping. And if you haven't watched it, you don't have to be a Star Wars fan. It's a really good series, but it talks about the early fomenting of the rebellion. And how it started in little pockets all, all across the galaxy and eventually they wound up like joining together into one giant rebellion. Not that I'm thinking there's going to be a revolt in this country of doctors, but it feels like you're starting to really represent the pieces. And you, know, you mentioned you're angry. Giving people permission to be pissed with a way to make a difference and help everyone at the same time is what they didn't know they needed they could do for themselves and others – what can you talk about briefly with Medicine forward and you had you talked about like the burnoutindex.org and you, you've worked on a, a study called the uh, you know the annals of internal medicine there's so much we'll put in the episode descriptions but what's your top line for these things yeah yeah absolutely so I haven't watched Andor yet but it's definitely
0: in my queue so now you've now you've talked tucked talk me into it and i I'm definitely um, a huge Star Wars fan. And love the idea of the rebellion and and also the belief that a small group of passionate people can make a difference in the world, because it it really is it really is true. That's how everything starts when there's change, is that there's a small group of people that really care and keep showing up. So I'll tie this back to the conversation with Eric. So he finished our first phone call with this kind of cryptic note that he was writing something for the New Yorker to stoke things a, a little bit. And I'm a little bit starstruck while we're having this conversation. I'm like, I don't know what he means by stoke things, but <laughs> that sounds good. And yes, I want to talk to you again. So basically, like time goes by and August happens and Eric sends me this email with this kind of pre version of this piece that's going to come out in the New Yorker saying that doctors should organize for all of the things that we've been talking about, standing up for our humani- humanity in the in the face of uh, all these other incentives that the AMA is really not doing its job to represent us the way that it should, that doctors have a responsibility to to stand up for our patients and our relationships with our patients. And so that was really the genesis of the whole thing. And then he wrote that, I wrote back and told him I thought it was good and I wanted to be part of it. And he wrote back and said, great, I think you need to help lead this thing. At which point I was like, wait, wait, (laughs) I'm way too introverted. That is not (laughs) possible. And, and then I learned that it's very hard to say no to Eric. Um, and then we just started recruiting this, this merry band of, of, of rebels of, of people who had, uh, he said, this is one of the things that he's written. That's had like the, the biggest response really immediately that was positive saying like, yes, this needs to happen. And people just came out of the woodwork right right out of the gate and said they would write to him and then he would pass those on to me and we'd have these conversations and, we met Eric and I and some of the others every other week for for the first year or so, just kind of trying to figure out like how to how to start something. So we started a nonprofit, which was initially called actually it was first here like while we're talking about movies and shows, like I, I love Harry Potter. And so tongue in cheek, I called it um, just to have it in a, a name, Osler's Army instead of Dumbledore's Army. Nice. Yeah. Then it then it army was too militant, so we morphed into Osler's Alliance. And then fair enough. And then Osler became this dead white guy who had slaves and didn't want women to be doctors. And so then it was like, oh shit, <laughs> we can't right. name Oops. our new doctors' organization Osler's Alliance. And so we actually had to have a name pivot. But essentially, that's where the group came from. So it's a nonprofit. It's a grassroots advocacy organization. And we've spent the last three years trying things to figure out how can we be a part of the change. And most recently. So you mentioned the, uh, the AMA. We actually do have the second largest doctor's organization actually has a, a lot of better things going. That's the American College of Physicians. And so we partnered with them um, on this project to try and disrupt what's not working with prior authorization. Um, we identified that as this tactical thing that really represents what's wrong right now. In a place where a lot of people care about it, a lot of people need it to be better are affected by it, and that we think that we could make a difference. So that's become the the biggest part of our advocacy is saying, how can we show up and try and be a part of making a difference in prior auth? In fact, we have this crazy moonshot of making the friction from prior authorization gone by the year 2025, um, which is going to, come up fast. But we think it's really important to think big
1: about how we could change things and and really make them more human. Dr. Gabe Charbonneau is a family physician and co-founder of Medicine Forward and FightBurnout.org. Lots of links in the episode description, folks. Man, I think you opened up a wormhole of shows we have to do together going forward, Gabe. Thank you so much for sharing all this. We were going to have you back. And again, permission to be pissed. Let's fight. Let's do the rebellion. Amen. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Out of patience with Matthew Zachary is an off-script Health production. The executive producers are Matthew Zachary and Andrew McDowell. It's mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. If you like the show, ratings and reviews are always welcome. Leave us a message anytime at 855-AUDIO-66. That's 855-AUDIO-66 to share your healthcare shitness with us. And we might just play them on the air on a future episode. For more information about this show and Offscript Health, visit Offscript.com. That's Offscript, no T, dot com.